Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is Greg Nielsen, President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting. Uh, NTC works with nonprofit organizations nationally, primarily in the areas of board governance, strategic planning, and organizational development. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. And today I am excited to be joined by Nathan Chappelle. Nathan is the president of Futurist Group. Um, and we're going to be talking about a topic that I admittedly know very little about, so I'm excited to learn more about. And we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence for nonprofit fundraising. So as a predictor of generosity, and we, we hear a lot in society right now about artificial intelligence, and Nathan's going to talk to us about how it benefits or can benefit nonprofit organizations and their fundraising efforts. So I hope you'll join me in welcoming Nathan to the podcast right now. Welcome, Nathan. Great. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's great to have you with us. Nathan, tell us a little bit about um, Futurist Group and then maybe a little bit about your background and what led you to this field. Yeah, thanks. I have been in the fundraising field, I guess, profession for about 18 and a half years at this point, which is crazy to think about. Just time flies. It doesn't feel like that long ago. I, um, prior to being in the nonprofit, I had started and sold two companies, both of them with a uh, real strong tech background. And uh, halfway through my MBA, uh, I was actually going getting my MBA because I thought I wanted to go work on Madison Avenue and I had my life figured out. I got sucked into the nonprofit sector like a lot of people do. And I didn't even know that it was profession. I didn't know that I could do good work and get paid for it and um, really cut my teeth um, at a national organization and learned a lot, worked really hard. And fast forward, um, it, it's been 18 and a half amazing years. I, uh, during that time, spent seven years with Boys and Girls Club. Um, I've been a consultant with a, a large nonprofit consulting firm and then was assistant vice chancellor at UC San Diego managing um, uh, actually a campaign that just uh, went over the $2 billion mark. And then ended up being senior vice president at City of Hope, a national cancer center where I managed a majority of uh, fundraising efforts for a group that was uh, raising about 160 million a year. Futurist was really an outgrowth of a year's worth of work. I've always been probably more on the business side inclined um, to think of nonprofit as a business more than more so than others had been comfortable with in the past. Um, you know, with metrics and uh, levers that you could adjust and adapt and and move the needle forward. And Futurist was just that next evolution. It was this opportunity to really um, apply technology, that really powerful technology and big data to decision making and, and um, some new ways of thinking for the nonprofit sector. So that, um, that work started about three years ago in machine learning and uh, was what led to the, the growth of Futurist about six months ago uh, when we launched it. So how did your experience, you know, as sort of boots on the ground working in development, how did that lead you to more of a curiosity, more of a passion for the artificial intelligence side? Yeah, you know, I think um, having been a fundraiser for many years and then really probably more about becoming a fundraising manager, it was trying to figure out, you know, one is for organizations have limited resources. Nonprofits have this kind of unique um, challenge, which is you try to spend every penny that you raise on the mission. And every penny that you don't spend on the mission for your infrastructure is kind of dinged against you at this cost per dollar raise. 
So, you know, most nonprofits spend 20, 25 cents um, on cost per dollar raise. And that's really hard to innovate. Uh, you know, with, you know, when you're trying to work on margins of 80% of, of, you know, your profit, if you will, is going to this mission and not to your infrastructure, it's really, really hard. Um, I've been an early adopter pretty much my whole life. I've been watching and reading about, learning about AI for, I don't know, 10 plus years. It really wasn't until the technology became affordable enough, um, until that uh, I, I kind of felt like nonprofit organizations had enough data and understood the importance of data that, you know, we decided to play with this idea of can we use all the data that nonprofit organizations have uh, and put it into an AI you know, machine learning format to help those organizations, frankly, be more efficient. And that's really, you know, what it ends up uh, coming down to. So a lot of people may be familiar with the term AI, artificial intelligence, and its applications in, in different aspects of society. How, can, how does your product, how does your tool, um, how does it get applied to the fundraising space, the development space? Yeah, so, uh, you know, and, and again, think, so the, broadly the term AI refers to anything that a computer could do that a human would normally do. You know, so it's an extremely broad term. It really means a lot of different things. Inside AI, there are a lot of key technologies, machine learning uh, being one of the most um, prevalent, which is, you know, the ability to manage really complex algorithms with lots of data very quickly and with this idea that it gets better over time. So there are, um, excitingly, you know, in the last probably two years, um, really probably in the last year, there's a lot of application of, of AI um, in the nonprofit sector, in the social sector, whether it's um, having drones deliver blood um, to remote areas in Rwanda, um, to, you know, lots of different things where organizations are leveraging technology to, to become more efficient or, or closer. Our, our interpretation was, and I think a lot of it came from being a fundraising manager, was how do I make sure that my most expensive resource, which is my fundraisers, how do I make sure that they're the most efficient as possible? And by efficiency, it's really about how do we make sure that every day when they go to lunch with someone, that it's the right person, that it's the most, with the best chance of success, someone that already resonates with a mission or, or connects with an organization. And how do we do that? And through a lot of um, hard work and trial and error and um, learning, we developed an algorithm um, in machine learning that is able to find donors or prospects that have a high instance of what we call gratitude um, toward an organization. And in healthcare right now, it's very, um, this is where we're, our, our depth is. Uh, we're able to determine individuals that are most likely to give based on their experience. So this algorithm is the first algorithm ever built that is actually not built using wealth data. And it's a big departure from about 40 years of, um, of work that our field has been focused on wealth over gratitude. And we're truly trying to change that conversation. I'd like to spend a few minutes on that because I find that fascinating. Um, you know, many development professionals, many, many nonprofit executives are familiar with wealth screening. And for those who may not know, that's, you know, obviously taking individuals' data using publicly available sources and, and predicting what is their capacity to give. How does machine learning, how does your AI differ from traditional wealth screening and how might it be more effective? Yeah, so, you know, pretty much every nonprofit out there uses some sort of wealth screening, whether they're paying for it or they're just using Google or Zillow. 
um, to find who has wealth. We, frankly, we just did a survey, um, a pretty broad survey of nonprofit professionals. And it, in that survey, we found that 78% of those people that we surveyed are using wealth as a primary way of determining who should go in a portfolio. And so they're using you know, wealth to you know, identify people. It's like, well, it's a wealthy person. Let's put them in a portfolio or let's have a fundraiser meet with them and kind of build these relationships. And our field is has been this way for about 40 years, uh, really since wealth screening came on the scene. But what we found through our research early on, uh, several years ago, was that when we were looking at our top donors at an organization over a past year, only 10% of those were coming from wealth. So when we think about the, the high turnover fundraisers have, you know, they stay on, on average 18 months, a lot of that, I think, comes from this notion that we're identifying people the wrong way. We're identifying with wealthy people. Those people aren't resonating with the organization. Fundraisers have, frankly, with 10%, they have a one in 10 chance that the person they're meeting with is going to make a gift, which leads to burnout and unrealistic expectations. And so we, um, we set to completely change that paradigm. We, are, uh, we actually take experiential data. So in healthcare, um, there's lots and lots of data that's HIPAA compliant that we build into an algorithm. And it tells us whether the person has a positive or negative experience with an organization. And then we can actually decode that to determine what are all the, those experiences that donors have in common? And what are all the experiences non-donors have in common? And that's basically how we do it. We've built um, this proprietary algorithm uh, that's patent pending. We um, screen for hospitals, academic medical centers, health systems, um, patients to determine who's most likely to uh, make a gift. So if I'm understanding it correctly, obviously the wealth screening just gives a fundraiser a perspective on someone's potential capacity to make a gift, not necessarily their inclination, their interest, whether they have a positive feeling towards the organization. Whereas your algorithm is using a number of additional deeper drivers to predict uh, someone's gratitude score or the likelihood that they will make a gift to your particular organization. Is that accurate? Exactly. Yeah. You know, we we look at wealth as a two-sided coin, or we look at an individual um, from this perspective, a two-sided coin, wealth being one side. You know, we we believe that people make gifts to organizations because of it, how it makes them feel, you know, based on experiences, how they resonate with it. Does it align with their values? The other side of the coin is wealth, and that really helps determine how much someone might give. But it's not a great indicator of telling you whether or not someone would give in the first place. Um, we're starting to apply our technology in religion, higher education. Um, there's pretty much in any area where there's a significant amount of data, you could decouple wealth and experiences as much as possible to really unpack the individuals that are most aligned with you, that are resonating with what you're doing. So how do you come up with the, with the predictors of which experiences resonate most or which ones are most important to particular types of organizations? Yeah, one of the most exciting thing about machine learning um, and deep learning, just the, the prevalence of it and a number of tools that are out there that are available now to the public that just didn't exist, um, at least for, you know, readily available in the last you know, couple of years, is when you build a traditional algorithm, and the way our industry has done this for 40 years or so, has been um, to build models of people. And, and to build a model, you, you pick like 18 
max of 24 characteristics that you think are the most influential in making a gift. And it might be something like, um, I mean, uh, things like they've given before and things like that, or, um, or wealth, you know, it's a kind of this combination of, of, you know, demographic information and, and you build these models. Do they volunteer things like that? Well, the, the problem with traditional algorithms is actually they perform worse when they get too much data. So if you give them more than 24 variables, they actually decline. Uh, whereas deep learning actually gets better and better. So the great thing about what we're doing and, and what we've, we've developed is that we can load any data points that a nonprofit organization has, as many as they have. On average, if we can get 100 data points that an organization might have, it, it will let us produce roughly 1,000 to 4,000 calculations per constituent. And the idea is that we don't have to tell the machine what is relevant. We don't have to tell it um, that this is more important than another thing because deep learning takes all the data and it tells you. It will show us statistically every single data point and, and the relevance of that data point to someone making a gift or not making a gift. And uh, that's why in deep learning, if those that are not using it yet, um, I'm sure in the next five years, more and more people will. It's actually a freeing exercise because you don't, it takes the bias out of, I, I feel like these data points are the most important. And machine learning says they're all important and there's positive and negative correlations and, and they're all thrown in there because people are very complex. To try to break people down into 18 or 24 variables is not sufficient. So this gets much closer to um, getting to the, the core of, of how people make decisions. So you mentioned that you work, um, that healthcare was one of the initial areas that you were working in and have expanded since then. Is the, is deep learning, is that something that can also be scaled down to smaller to mid-sized organizations? I mean, I, obviously there are hospitals and universities that have, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of donor records and, and data points. How, how, could this be relevant, helpful to small to mid-sized nonprofits? Yeah, that's a you know that's something that really speaks to our core belief. Now we're you know we're an AI first company. That's all we do is machine learning. But we really exist to inspire philanthropy worldwide. Like we we are driven by this notion that you know technology can help increase philanthropy by one percent of GDP. That would be a significant boost to the economy and to the into humanity. But to do that, you're absolutely right. You have to be able to, to scale it to a majority of nonprofits. Vast majority are, are small. Um, they don't have the, either enough data or they don't have the resources. So we are actually working on a model right now uh, with our partners, DonorSearch, who have um, basically public information on, on every um, adult in America and a um, huge database of giving um, by those people we're building a model, um, which is a, a lighter version, we're actually calling it G2G Lite, which is Gratitude to Give Light, um, that could be deployed to any size nonprofit. And we're looking at making that tool available, you know, broadly across um, very affordably so that uh, average nonprofit food bank or um, Boys and Girls Club or, or any other, you know, local um, group could easily afford it they can take the data they have. Now the results get better with more data so that they won't be the exact same results. Um, but with our partners at DonorSearch, we're able to augment their data with publicly available data, which there's so much of today.
So if a nonprofit organization is, is looking to get involved in this or is looking to get more information, what are some things that they could do to get themselves prepared um, to, to move more into this space? Are there, you know, are there different types of data that they could or should begin collecting if they're not already doing so? How can they, get, how can they position themselves best? Yeah, this is a real, it's a pivotal moment in the nonprofit sector. I, you know, this is one of those things I, I speak often on this inflection point is that nonprofit organizations, I, I, I've been talking about the importance of data for years and years. Um, only now, I think, um, are nonprofit organizations starting to really pay attention and be like, okay, this is, a, this is really important, but I don't know what to do with it. And that's okay. You know, the number one um, probably set of recommendations that we'd give anyone is more data is better. So it used to be when storage of data was expensive, you would only keep the data points that you knew you needed because storage was, it was expensive. Hard drive space was expensive. That obviously has changed so much. And, you know, there's really almost no cost to, to storing data. In fact, we've been talking with people recently who um, are more, you know, from the IT side moving into fundraising. And their, their uh, perspective is, they're just trying to collect as much data as possible and they don't even know why they're just, they, they don't know what they're going to use it for yet, but they know that in the future data has value. And so, you know, number one recommendation for any nonprofit is more data is better. Collect every bit of data you can have because it can be used in so many different ways. And on top of that, there are so many resources out there um, to learn about, you know, the application of the data and um, uh, websites like Coursera offer, uh, they've had over a million, I think 1.2 million people have taken their machine learning course or the, the application of AI course, um, and they're free. So I think kind of those two things combined, I think nonprofit leaders need, need to take data seriously. I think data needs to have a seat at the leadership table. Uh, it needs to be part of the conversation. And I think we're seeing a lot of organizations that are doing strategic plans are part of the strategic plans are how they're going to leverage data in the future to to reach not just more people, but reach the people that they already know in a, a better, more um, prescribed way. So when we think about data, I think a lot of times, especially in the development space, we think of numbers. We think of the amount of the most recent gift or the date of the most recent gift or how frequently someone gives. What is the role of anecdotal data? Or how, does the, how does machine learning and deep learning, how does it process that type of information? Yeah, so the, the beauty of deep learning is it does both, you know, so of course, you know, the kind of golden rule in fundraising is that your next best donor is the one that just gave, you know, and that's, you know, and there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, only 56% of Americans even make gifts all year, you know, so at all. So, you know, so when you have a donor, there's some altruistic value, you know, to that. And you want to make sure you're cultivating those donors. It's much more expensive to acquire a new one. Um, and I'm preaching to the choir because you probably train on this all the time. Um, the anecdotal data is actually what's so interesting is that when you go into an organization, um, and not healthcare, or not even just healthcare, but say um, higher education or, or even a local nonprofit where they have a lot of um, volunteerism, the individuals that volunteer are much, much more likely to make donations and not just make donations, but donations of greater value. So for, you know, for, for the most part, nonprofit organizations have a lot of volunteers. Not all have been good at, at actually tracking those volunteers or really even cultivating, cultivating them into donors. 
Um, so, um, you know, for low hanging fruit, volunteerism is a huge play. Of course, the more someone volunteers, the more engaged they are and engagement, as we all know, um, leads to philanthropy because that's really the ultimate testament of a person's, um, connection with an organization when they're sacrificing the financial dollars, not just of their time. So you mentioned engagement, and that's one of the things that a lot of development professionals, communications professionals track through social media. Is is social media participation, is that an example of another type of data point that, that the machine values? Yeah, so social media plays a really uh, important part, but it's still a bit in its infancy in terms of availability. And so um, now from a, from a marketing perspective, social media is just super powerful to be able to do retargeting because it's looking at an IP address and it's, it's noticing that someone with this IP address is um, looking at certain you know, types of things and you can feed customized images to that person. The, the challenge with social media on a fundraising level um, for organization is that the match rate is still pretty low. It's, it's roughly 20%, um, you know, probably on the high end. So for organizations that are leveraging Facebook, for example, um, with about 20% of the individuals and, and the older individual on Facebook, the more, the better the match rate because people that are, are younger don't use their actual names. Um, and so it, the match rate ends up being much lower. But for sure, I mean, the, the concept is the same is that you, you know, you find a person who is um, liking, sharing, clicking on uh, things that relate to a nonprofit mission those end up being really great indicators of a person's um, engagement. Now, we would say that that's only one data set um, and an organization that would say that's the total answer. And now we know people are engaged because we know they're engaged online. Right. Um, you know, we, we say that's one data set because people are much more complex than that. People operate both in the online world and off on, offline world um, a bit differently. So you want all those data sets together to really help determine how a person's feeling about an organization. Nathan, if we were to have this conversation, you know, this is obviously a field that's changing rapidly. And, and, you know, what you're doing today is probably very different than what it would have looked like five to 10 years ago. If we were to have this conversation, say five to 10 years into the future from now, how is this, how has this transformed nonprofit leadership and development practices? Yeah, you know, I, I think for sure. So for 10 years, um, you know, I, I think it's been very hard to get nonprofit organizations to prioritize data, um, not even just, you know, from a leadership perspective to say it's, this is going to be important. We need to invest in our systems and things like that, um, let alone hire individuals that really know how to leverage data um, and um, help those organizations make decisions. So I think that's where this inflection point is. Um, I think right now is where you're starting to see for the first time uh, organizations really take that part seriously. Uh, in five years from now, I mean, I, I started a dot-com in 1997 and it cost me $200,000 to build our first website, basically. It was, you know, very difficult. The tools were not available. They were really expensive. You had to find someone who, who wrote, you know, fluent HTML. Um, and then all of a sudden you had all these tools that were on the market and, you know, that website now would probably cost us, you know, $50 on, you know, could have done it ourselves on Squarespace. Now what's happening in the AI uh, machine learning market is the same thing right now. Uh, honestly, on a monthly basis, there are new tools that are becoming available that are almost becoming like that plug and play where anyone that has data doesn't have to be a statistician or 
or have a PhD can go and, and start to see results from, from their data. And so that's really exciting. I think these tools are, are you know, getting put in the hands of, of users that really be able to um, start making, you know, some really informed decisions and getting great insights where they just couldn't have done in the past. I, in five years from now, now already we see a lot of organizations say they're doing machine learning or AI. The reality is um, they may be augmenting part of what they're doing or, or adding on little pieces of AI, but they're not AI companies. It's more of a marketing term. Um, and it's hard because it's, it's hard to know what's real and what's not real for consumers right now. Um, but I would say in five years uh, that almost any company that's supporting the nonprofit sector in any digital data way is going to be almost a, an AI first company. Nathan, I appreciate you joining us today. One last question before we wrap up. Um, obviously, I do a lot of work with boards, and so I spend a lot of time with them at retreats and strategic planning retreats. How do you recommend nonprofit leaders introduce this topic to board members who may not have a background in it, who, you know, this may sound um, very futuristic to some board members. How do they, how do you recommend engaging this conversation with boards? Yeah, you know, I mean, there are some, um, there are a few video resources. Of course, there's articles. I, you know, we, we do a lot of speaking to groups and even if it's not business related, just, you know, um, speaking on this topic to get boards thinking about things differently. The, the reality is, you know, boards have the, a little bit of a disconnect of not really realizing that, you know, data can drive the nonprofit in powerful ways. Um, and, you know, finding um, either individuals um, that can come and speak to those boards or um, some video resources. And there's a few books out um, right now. Um, it's hard to get board members to read books sometimes for the nonprofit, but um, that talk about this in theory. I think it has to be, it's not a one-time conversation. It has to be something that becomes part of the culture of the organization. And um, whether it's sending um, relevant articles about what's going on in the, in the sector in AI um, to the board members to get, keep them, you know, primed to think more and more about how um, they can find and use those data sets to help the organization raise more money. We have a lot of um, nonprofit development professionals uh, and also CEOs listening to the podcast. Nathan, if they want to get more information about your company, your services, um, how can they reach you all directly? Yeah, the easiest way is to go to our website and they can submit um, an email address and, and with that, it will offer to connect with them um, and or send them information, um, you know, to, to their inbox about what's going on. The website is futurisgroup.com and it's um, the Latin word for future. It's F-U-T-U-R-U-S group, G-R-O-U-P.com. And um, we love having these conversations with professionals that are are interested um, in what's going on in these trends. And uh, a lot of what I do on a, on a day-to-day basis is connect with people from all different nonprofit sectors from all over the country and now actually in, in, uh, in the UK as well. Um, and a lot of it is just connecting people with people and um, who's doing what and kind of learning from each other. And that's one of the special things about the nonprofit sector that I just love for you know majority of my career um, is the open and, and willingness of, of individuals that are, are willing to put their hand out um, and provide that information. So we, we're happy to always be that kind of resource. 
Absolutely agree. Nathan, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your insights. I've learned a tremendous amount, and I know those listening to the podcast have as well. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And again, this has been Greg Nielsen of Nielsen Training and Consulting. Uh, For those listening, I also encourage you to continue reaching out. Um, My email address is gregory at nielsenconsults.com. Website is www.nielsenconsults.com. Always love hearing from listeners about what you're enjoying on the podcast, other topics that you'd like to see us feature, or even guests as well. So Nathan, thank you again for your time. Thanks so much.